from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. And welcome to Super Yacht Radio. I have the pleasure of being joined today by a good friend now, Kareen Rayson, who is also known to many of you as the crew coach. And although last month, May month, was Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to keep the conversation going because I think that this is a conversation we can have all year. It's not down to one month. And for those of us who were in Palma, there was a, an event on about two weeks ago called Life is for Living. And it was a lovely event, but it really made me feel that this was a conversation I didn't want to be isolated to one event, that it was important to keep the chat going. And no better woman to chat about this than Karine. Hi, welcome back. Lovely to have you again. Hi, everyone, to all the listeners. It's so good to be back. Thanks for inviting me. So, Karine, before we kind of when the news was on we were chatting about I was telling you about this event we were at in Palma which I have to say I would love to see replicated in Fort Lauderdale and in Cairns and in Antibes although I think they may well have one in Antibes Mm. and in this particular event they had four different speakers one was a psychologist who talked about therapy one was a uh, first aid nurse who also talked about the ABCs of, you know, first aid for mental health and, and awareness of others. But where I wanted to start was in in the event, there were two people who talked about their own personal stories. One was a younger crew lady, girl, and she shared her story of how she went from kind of a, a, a series of events. You know, she lost a boyfriend. She had an incident being attacked Then her father died and she kept going through all of it. And then she went home and just within a week slipped into a whole nother space. And she Uh. fortunately had the right friend at the right time on that particular night to talk her through. But one of the things that really struck me and where I wanted to start our chat was the second speaker was a captain and he shared his story of five years of working, you know, he was in his 20s, working solidly, long hours, high stress. And and for him, you know, he said, I, I didn't indulge in alcohol, drugs or anything else. I went for adrenaline, you know, the paragliding, parachuting, you know, anything I could do, I became an adrenaline junkie. And any uh-huh. feelings I had, I just pressed uh-huh. mute. And when the doctor suggested I talk to someone, I'm like, or take some time off, I went, what? You know, no, I'm fine. I, he was just completely mm-hmm. focused. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until he kind of had an event where a series of things happened and he was uh, asked to leave the boat that all of a sudden mm-hmm. his world went crashing down. And it doesn't do justice to their stories. Their, their stories were really, really moving. But I know you've talked to a lot of crew particularly over the past couple of months since we last chatted. And I think Mm. one of the places I wanted to start with was highlighting sometimes the differences of how mental health presents in all of us. Uh, The difference between male and female, cultural differences, that it's Mm. not just a clear cut, you know, it's not like a medical thing, it's clear cut, I've got the flu. For Mm. For us all, it can be very different how we present 
So Shireen's story I know very well. She was a guest on the vlog and it, speaking to her was very powerful in that not only did she have the courage to really express the impacts or impact of not receiving any support and how that thing started spiraling out of control for her. So something to bear in mind with that is educating crew on mental health and exactly what you said, what that looks like. So the signs and the symptoms. Uh, there is a massive gap in terms of training crew with within the mental health space and also the leadership space too. So it is something that requires a lot of work and attention and recognition, uh, not only from the crew for the need for it, but also from land-based organizations like yacht management companies and recruitment companies. So it would and I've heard this occurring, that crew are being discriminated against because they maybe had a meltdown on board or they were burnt out and then they're not put forward for, for a position. And uh, that needs to stop happening because that is really, really not okay. With regards to men and how they handle their emotions or their trauma, I've heard of another crew member that engages in the same sort of adrenaline activities that give you quite a rush and for me that's actually it's it's something similar to what we call an approach uh, in it's a therapeutic model called dialectical behavioral therapy so working with people um, such as those who are experiencing anorexia um, self-harmers they we give them activities to do to keep their mind off the the current feelings that are overwhelming their sense of self so it could be something as mild as uh, flicking an elastic band on your wrists or holding onto ice and that's that's a distraction tool that we recommend those who are who are experiencing um, an overwhelming sense of emotion and they are un unable to cope so a little bit uh, like trying to enable them to have some other tool that that when mm -hmm. they get to that level that they just they need a relief from the noise in their head mm -hmm. they have something else to use that distracts mm -hmm. their head a little bit from what they're so, feeling and what it does it brings you into the here and now so as you know, like with your thoughts, you can get carried away and you can be taken to a very dark place. And it's about moving and shifting from that place into the present. And then it's interesting that you mentioned culture. So some of my clients in Australia working in the prison, they came from various backgrounds. So I had one client from Fiji and in their culture, it is polite not to look at you in the eye. And in the Western culture, it's impolite not to look at someone in the eye when you're talking to them. So this was misconstrued by another therapist, and she got quite, um, I want to say, upset by the fact that he wasn't uh, looking at him, her in the eye, and she felt that it was like he was hiding something from her or being deceitful. So you really need to understand cultural biases and also uh, the cultural backgrounds of the crew when working with them. I think um, mm. uh, certainly, you know, one of the things I was saying was 
there is less stigma, I believe, now than 20 years ago. But sure. particularly in Ireland, we have seen a huge increase, unfortunately, in, in suicides, particularly in men. I mean, mm. a huge increase. Mm. And one of the challenges being Irish, and I think the English are very similar culturally in that sense, is that we don't really talk about emotions. You know, the question of mm. how are you? You know, the average, oh, I'm fine. You know, they won't mm. really, I'll kind of laugh because Oscar Wilde had a quote of, um, the definition of a bore is someone when you ask them how they are, they really tell you. However, mm. I, I don't think he was right. I think, you know, if, if someone genuinely, if you genuinely ask someone, how are you? It, it's not just a flip away comment. You know, if someone asked me how I am, I'll think about it. You know, I, if I don't know them that well, I'll, I'll say all right. But if I'm in great form, I'm like, oh, I'm great. Yes. But even the the need to put on the persona, and, and I think that's what people don't realize is how much goes on. There was this lovely image, which I actually shared up as well, mm-hmm. of a smiling face, you know, a, a man laughing, and inside his brain is a small child wrapped in a ball. That mm. what you see on the outside is not necessarily what's going on inside. And even really, really depressed people can be very good at putting Hiding. all their energy in to getting mm. the outside persona to be smiling mm. and whatever. Mm. When actually inside, there's a lot more going on. And that's why it's so important to be aware of the signs and the symptoms. So in rehabilitation programs such as AA and NA they have an acronym for fine and it's 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 actually quite confronting but it's fucked up insecure neurotic and emotional (laughs) (laughs) so um we and I think if you're quite intuitive and if you know your colleagues or your friends well when they say they're fine you've got an inkling if there's something going wrong going uh, awry with them you've got an inkling that that that's the case so you need to trust your gut more but if you don't trust your gut then look at some of their their thinking so how are they expressing themselves through words are what are the physical signs are they breaking down in tears or are they um maybe engaging in extreme sports uh, some of the behaviors, maybe they are avoiding you, maybe they're isolating, maybe they've stopped exercising. So those are all the warning signs that you can actually pick up on and use as evidence to support your thinking that maybe something is wrong. I think there's the other side as well is the what going back to what you see is not necessarily what you get people can feel very, very isolated. Even though they have friends or they have family, there's a thinking behind it of what's wrong with me. Do you know, you don't necessarily need a catastrophic event, a a death or a, it can be a whole series of things that don't fit. You don't fit with the crew. You don't fit with this boat. Um, they, you got dumped a month ago or you got dumped six months ago or you got dumped 12 months ago and somehow mm-hmm. that hasn't healed. Or one of the most interesting books I read years ago was called The Wisdom of Depression. Mm. And the, the point of the book was depression can actually be a tool that our body uses to make us stop. 
and resolve whatever needs to be resolved under the surface. And, and I think that, that some of it is we see it as a fault. Somehow there's something wrong with me or why am I not normal? Or, but actually there's a process going on because when you get to that point that you just want to cry or you don't want to get up in the morning or you can't see the way through next week, let alone next month, it doesn't have to be something huge. It can be a whole series of small events that have just got you to this place. And in the mental health action plan, one of the skills that you learn is empathy. So really understanding where that person's coming from and they use the analogy of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. So it's not sympathy where you go, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. And I think this is where the the strength comes into uh, crew training and leadership training, emotional intelligence training, is sharing your story. Because a lot of people are ignorant to the fact that maybe someone has actually been through a lot. And in that industry, the mentality is suck it up and get on with it. Mm. And it's impossible. And it can lead to really horrific consequences like suicide yeah so yeah and it's uh, since that event i've actually had a lot of people reach out and share their stories and what's happening on board their yachts and one chief stew she said that the environment in which they're working on in is very volatile so the men have an idea of what the culture should look like on board, whereas the females have a different version of it. So for them, it's like, you just suck it up, you get on with it. Um, And for them, they might have had pre-existing mild mental health issues, but now it's been accentuated uh, because of their mentality, of the the male um, crew mentality. And after the conversation with this person, the female crew member actually got fired because the captain was like, it's too much. Like, you're just crying too much. You're too sensitive and we can't deal with it. So you need to go. So now that's going to aggravate her existing issues and it's going to reinforce um, poor thinking patterns. Like, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. And I think that we all have a sense of responsibility for our friends, for our colleagues, for our neighbors, for our community. I think um, we had a... uh kind of a roundtable discussion back in the springtime and it was about mental health and the industry and two big points we had a, a captain in chatting with us and he said one of the most helpful tools he ever had was early on in his training he was put on a I can't remember exactly the kind of course but basically it was a mental health awareness course of looking for the signs being able yeah. to read people, knowing the difference of, of things you should say, you know, or things more to the point you shouldn't say that uh-huh. can just tip people over, you know. Uh-huh. I think it's amazing in, when you look in light of the statistics of how many people, even in just normal life and not looking on board where I think there are more stresses yeah. in many ways. You, you, you're living in confined quarters. You don't have your own personal space. You don't have your own apartment. You can close the door. You you can feel very alone and away from people, depending on your crew. That I mean, it was lovely to see that there is a new um, mental health awareness course that was being brought out. 
mm-hmm. only last month. But mm-hmm. one of the things was it, it, it's not necessarily part of the training. And he said, you know, for him, that was actually one of the most useful parts of his training because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. personal relationships, you have them so much more intensively when you are all on board doing the same thing. Absolutely. And I've also got a course that I'll be releasing soon and that focuses on the mental health first aid training and I also got an inquiry about doing the course and it was so interesting because she was like I don't think my captain will approve because of the name of the course mental health first aid he doesn't want anything to do with it so I said that's fine I can adapt it so that it's more fitting into his idea of what this training looks like. So we've called it it's psych- a psychological first safety training. So with regards to, as we know, we invest so much training in the physical safety side of yachting. And if someone experiences an injury, a physical injury on board, we seek treatment right away. But then when someone has a psychological issue that they're experiencing We might not notice it. We might um, shut it down and it just gets prolonged and then the issue just becomes worse. And that is why we really, really need to embrace this sort of training. And I've done mental health first aid training and it's a two-day course. But to be honest with you, there is so much information there to digest that information and then go straight back into it is very difficult so the strength lies in being able to absorb that information and then apply it and with our course you get coaching so you can bring real experiences and we do role plays so that we can really ensure that the crew that are getting trained know how to handle these situations because for me that's duty of care i do not feel comfortable in regurgitating all the information and giving a certificate afterwards i really want to know that they fully understand how to recognize the signs and how to approach them and it's it's also interesting so before this interview I was thinking back when I was had a client in prison who had borderline personality disorder and being South African I'm not too sure if you've heard but we say shame a lot so we say shame for everything whether it's really is shame like oh shame you hurt yourself or um shame that is so sweet so we apply it to absolutely everything and this particular prisoner he was left in my office unattended to uh, do a call with the Royal Commission around abuse and all the staff had gone home and it was a Friday and I I didn't feel safe so I said look I'm happy for him to use my office as long as there's an officer that can do the rounds because being in a wing alone with this man is very, very dangerous. And he had already been in jail for 11 years due to the severity of his crimes. When he saw the officer come and do a check, he absolutely lost it because he knew realistically that I actually called for someone to do a check. And he went to attack me and he was following me down the stairs and he was shouting abuse at me and I think I was maybe a little bit in shock and all I could, the only word that could come out was shame. I couldn't say anything else. And he's like, shame, is that all you can say is shame? (laughs) So yeah, it was understanding your choice of words in those situations. And 
that's part of the step, the action plan in delivering mental health first aid is really understanding what the person is going through using active listening, which is very different to just listening. So that's reflecting back and hearing what they're saying, uh, minimal responses like mm, eye contact, your gestures. And once you've reached that stage, then the recipient is going to be more open to divulging and sharing your story, well, their story. And yeah, you need to ensure that there's confidentiality, that you're not going to go to other crew members and say, guess what she told me or what he told me. And yeah, he's really sick in the head or he's wacko. Like that is not okay. And Mm. and I think that's a a huge part of it is actually that support, that ability, ability to, to really listen to people. Because, you know, when someone, it's really hard to share what you're feeling um, to anyone. Yeah. I think that is, in some ways, the hardest bit of it. Because people, even if they do have good friends or they do have family, uh, okay, if you have a blue day, you can say, wow, I'm having a really blue day. I just need to stop and I'll get better. But if you have loads of blue days, you don't want to keep coming back going, I'm still blue. I, I can't shake it off. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm still here in this place. That shame is actually a very big part of what mm-hmm. stops people and I and I think in in yacht crew as well and one of the people we had at the discussion was a crew agent and he made the point of you know if you're really finding it difficult maybe you need to stop and look at whether this is the right industry for you as well uh, and I think in in some ways there is the psychological side, there's also the professional side. If I admit I'm in this place, a bit like what you said about the stew, how will that affect my career? Unfortunately, Mm. I I think there is a, certainly I got the sense at the end of our discussion, there is a certain bias. It is, and I think that's going to make it more difficult for people to seek the help they need particularly in the early stages. I mean, that's almost the better time until you've kind of got to the end point. If, if you admit that you had to take three weeks off for mental health, you know, if you had to take three weeks off or six weeks off because you broke your arm, there'd be no shame in it. You take six weeks off and you heal and you get better. Mm. The fact that we don't see it the same way for mental health, even though at least one in five of us, if not one in four of us, are going to suffer from mental health at some stage in our lives, shows that I think even as a society, we have a ways to go. Even I personally experienced guilt for burning out and taking a leave. And I remember seeing a mental health nurse within the prison and she's like, you need two, two weeks of work just because it's been five years of hearing traumatic stories and now those stories were resurfacing for me. I went to see the GP and he was like, no, you're fine. And mm. it's like here in the system, healthcare system in Australia, it's just high turnover of patients and they get billed per patient. I think that's the case everywhere, you know. Okay. You know, yeah. even in England and Ireland average GP visit is five to 10 minutes. When I was doing my training, one of the most revealing moments, and I remember it of, I was a student, so I was just learning how to take a history. But Mm. I sat and I listened to his story and there was a lot more in the story. And at the end of the 40 minutes, Mm -hmm. and I was meant to only do it in 15 or 20, you know, 
But at the end of the 40 minutes, he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been coming here for nine months and this is the first time I feel like somebody's listened to me. Oh my gosh, I've got goosebumps. So, it's so true. I think if and that's, I, it, yeah. the gift of really stopping and listening to someone in a space where they can actually talk, you know, how are you doing when you've when you're just about to start your day? It's not the best time, you know, saying, uh, "Hey, do you fancy taking a walk on Thursday?" Because sometimes I find sitting face to face with someone, although it's good to have the eye contact, can be intimidating mm-hmm. for some people going for a walk or getting to a different space that you can allow them be a little bit distracted and not feel do you know can sometimes be helpful in in finding a different space to allow them that doesn't have a time limit on it we don't have to go back we've only got an hour's lunch break just a a different space away however you create that can make a difference you know absolutely yeah, it's um, the power of listening. I don't think we realize what a huge impact it can make. And it's uh, when you mentioned in the beginning, when it's so important when you share your pleasantries to actually mean it instead of going, oh, how are you? Fine, thanks. But going, how are you? And how's X, Y, and Z? Because you mentioned yesterday that you know you hadn't been able to reach your parents for a week. Did you get hold of them? And that shows that you care. Being specific. Looking kind of at the ABCs and one of the at the Life is for Living event, mm-hmm. there was a she was a first aid trauma nurse, but she also had kind of a, a first aid mental health course as well that she provided. Mm-hmm. And she kind of stepped through some ABCs, you know, airway, breathing. And she said, but, you know, we all react differently as well. For some people, yeah, you know, yoga and exercise and meditation are all very good. She's like, but, you know, personally for me, I I couldn't meditate. I just, it's not my thing. Trying to sit quietly is, is just allows all those thoughts, you know, come to the forefront even more um so the tools that people have to cope uh can be very different depending on the individual as well you know going back to what you were saying of of elastic bands and and ice packs sometimes Mm. we need different tools even though the ones that seem sharing your story Mm. and having someone to talk to is is huge but when we don't necessarily have that there are other tools we can use as well. And I think there's a great opportunity for heads of departments to really get creative and embrace the tools that are available. So exposing crew to different strategies, for example, yoga. And I know that there are a lot of students that have done courses in yoga to do teacher's training. I think that's what it's called. But um, I I understand that for men, it might not be up their alley, like there's still stigma attached around doing yoga. But when you make everyone do it and make it a crew activity, it opens people's minds. And also, you're able to present something in a different light that they might have not embraced previously. So just doing fun crew activities like going hiking is another thing, maybe doing stand-up paddle. There's so many options out there. And not only does it bring the team together 
it helps team get to know each other on a personal level while sharing the helpful strategies out there. And I think creating a, a better crew dynamic as well is, is a really mm-hmm. big part of it, you know, that mm-hmm. team building, so to speak, but you are, you, you're working as a team, whether you're the deckhand or the captain, you all have an essential job on board. Yeah, of course, the captain's in charge and he's steering the boat and, you know, everything else. But if you're the deckhand and you haven't secured something properly, equally, your job can be very important as well. That I think that's the thing. Uh, we talked recently um, to the Five Deeps team and they were going to the de- deepest parts of the ocean. And one of the things I loved in their story was Rob was saying there were no egos. Everybody there Mm. had a really important job to do. So there was no hierarchy of, you know, well, Uh Victor Vescovo, he's the team, you know, he's the guy who financed Mm. it and put it all together. He was very Mm. much on the same level as, as Rob, as the crew, as the chef. I mean, everybody had a really important job to do. So they kind of, this huge crew of 20 or 30 people, kind of let go of their egos because they were going months. I mean, they were five or six months on this completely new adventure. Um, and that was one of the things I loved most about it, of they, they found a way of working together on a level. And I think that's a big part of it. When you really feel there's a hierarchy and therefore you're a deckhand or you're a junior stew, mm-hmm. so therefore you're not as important, it doesn't create a valid team that everyone feels that they are part of the yeah i'm so glad you mentioned that because i think that having a hierarchical structure that we as we do in yachting really i want to say accentuates the power play between crew members and if you had more of a flat style of management then it removes that excess layers of control and power associated with higher level management. There's an amazing captain out there who is a fantastic role model and his name is Dean and his yacht, I should actually share it with you guys because if you follow them on Instagram, they share a lot of life stories and you get a true essence of what a positive onboard culture looks like. And their handle, I think it's Yacht Ariance, so A-R-I-E-N-C-E. And there you're able to get a taste, but even better visual taste of what a sense of community looks like, what a positive onboard culture looks like. And he is so opposed to the hierarchical structure and everyone is seen on an equal playing field. So that is a prime example in terms of what uh, positive culture should look like. Because it it makes all the difference. And I think as well, you know, the topic of the millennial generation, to use that broad term, has come up quite a lot. But I think in, in some ways, if you can really engage this younger generation, I mean, they've talked about work ethic and it's different to the generation before, On the flip side, I think that if you can really engage them, you will still have very dedicated, loyal people. They just Mm. really need to feel that they have a a bigger purpose. They may not Mm. have the same sense of, 
oh, this is my job, therefore I'm going to do it and I'm going to keep at it no matter what. But they do mm -hmm. have the, I am doing something that makes a difference, I am learning, I am experiencing. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be positive all the time because that's not life, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be negative either. You know, it can be the balance mm -hmm. between the two. And I think really to engage this younger generation and you know, crew retention is the other big topic of how do you retain crew because there's much higher turnover. I think give them that big experience of um, the importance of everyone on the team and a good dynamic, mm -hmm. and you will naturally have better crew retention. Would you 100%. Agree? Yeah. And I think self-awareness is also key. So with regards to the sense and concept of power, removing your title and looking at yourself, your vulnerable self, and asking yourself, well, who am I at the end of the day? What sort of person do I strive to be? And am I that person? Am I meeting my personal development goals or ideas of what is valuable in, a, in terms of the attributes in a person like myself? So, um, and, yeah, go on. No, I was just saying it's, Going back to prison and the idea us versus them, and I'm wondering if the mentality is quite similar on a yacht with that whole, whole hierarchical structure, and it just makes things so much more impersonal, impersonable when you have that idea of what um, the dynamics of a yacht should look like, and in this particular jail there on my mental health training there was an 18 year old who was raped and it was his first time in jail and the officers threw in a bar of soap and said just wash your bottom and get over it and the guy on my mental health uh, first aid training he responded saying have you ever taken your your son off a tree who have who has hung himself at the age of 21 and they all just stopped He's like, that could have been my son. And it's just having the lack of understanding of what other people are going through. And this yachting shouldn't be treated as a game. It's not us versus them. It's not I'm better than you. Or, yeah, I think it's just we, we all need to uh, ask ourselves whether we're being the best versions, versions of ourselves at the end of the day. And is this the person who I want to be? And if not, change. Yeah. Well, and I think that some of it is when we were chatting beforehand, we were talking about how very high our expectations can be of ourselves, that we expect, expect to be, you know, top form all the time, doing all these things. I saw recently this um, actually was a girl from the Krugaloo, and she put up a Instagram post of this little cycle in life, you know. The only thing I dispute is it, it didn't have the, the section that I have, which is, you know, laundry, meals, cleaning the house, but, but yeah. <laughs> it yeah. had, you know, relationships and friendships. It had work and career. It had rest and play. It had exercise and good food. And mm. I, I think, you know, we, we get so focused on giving our job all that we can and trying to be X, Y, and Z that we forget mm -hmm. to kind of look at that cycle for ourselves and go, ah, am I really, am I really feeding myself enough of each of those segments of the, the cycle? Am I, am I 
getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough fun and play and not the not the going out on the Friday night fun, which can be fun, but the mm. the other fun that just fills us up mm-hmm. as well. The coffee with a friend, mm. the mm. walk in the park, the watching a movie you love, the, you know, enough of a balance in our own lives that we're actually filling this moment because I think having experienced the death of a great friend through suicide Mm. when people you love have got to that point those that are left behind they it's that whole step further that everyone goes either I wish I had done more or what else could I have done or why didn't Mm. I see it or didn't they know that there was so much more to life. I wish I could have, you know, just got them through this stage so mm-hmm. that they could have got to the other stage, that it was just a part of the cycle. And I think certainly the event in, in Palma partly mm-hmm. was brought about by the suicide of a young crew member that shocked mm-hmm. people in the Palma community. And the whole reason for bringing about is we don't want people to get, we want to make sure that they know there's help out there before anyone gets to that place. But the friends that are left behind are as devastated as, as they can be because they wish they could have done more. Now, sometimes you can't. Some people are very good at disguising what's going on. Mm. But there's still that sense of making sure that there are safety nets in place, whether you don't have to necessarily take care of everyone, but if everyone has an awareness... I think, mm. and and the other big thing that came out of it was going through the supports that are out there. You know, if yes, that's kind of where I'd like to go to in, in the next bit is looking mm. at if you are crew on board and you don't particularly have someone you're close to, and I mean this is the other big challenge is that you don't necessarily have Wi-Fi that you can make a WhatsApp call whenever you want. But you can send emails, you can, you know, usually you have enough connectivity for emails. And there are, for example, the the 24-7 helpline from from Iswan, which Mm. anyone can ring at any time. There are, and and this was the lovely thing, you know, in Palmer as well, for example, Linda Reveal, who is Agua Sea School, she's like, I want people to know whether you've trained with me or not. You can always walk in to my place and it's a safe place. I think for a lot of crew, they should know that too. Wherever you trained, if you're back there, the person that trained you, and we've talked to loads of, of crew trainers over the past couple of months, they really have a deep affection for the people that have come through their schools. You know, there mm. are safe places to go. You have a community, even if you're not feeling it in that isolated place. There is a safe place to go and there are supports, again, like yourself as well. Yes, correct. And I think that's the a big thing too. When you're reaching out for support, there needs to you need to feel a rapport with the the therapeutic clinician who you're working with because I've seen a lot of people and from my experience, not all of them are well suited for me and my needs Mm. and treatments only effective when you have a positive relationship with someone. So yeah, and it doesn't, 
it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's the trainer at the the academy or if it's IS1 or if it's a friend, but even when you're sourcing a GP or a practitioner, it's don't be put off by the first person if it doesn't work for you. Just try mm. again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, like a dentist or a doctor, it can take a couple mm-hmm. attempts before you actually find someone someone you like and have a space where you can find a comfortable place to to talk and I think feel comfortable enough to be you because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of energy to have the pretend you that's holding things together. Correct. And that also is a skill in your mental health training is non-judgment. You have to have non-judgment throughout your conversations with people. So to go, oh, really? Is that all you were worried about? Or oh, you'll be fine tomorrow. Just go for a walk. You'll be okay. So yeah, just be mindful of that too. Mm-hmm. Don't minimize people's issues because we're all unique and we all like, experience things differently and have different ways of coping. So for uh, a little kind of ABC of if you see somebody struggling on board what would be your advice of how to help them so yeah firstly I would approach the person at the right time so doing it in the crew mess where other people are around is certainly not okay um so finding a time that works for you and for them don't do it at a time where you're really, really busy and then have to walk out halfway through a conversation. Listen non-judgmentally, as I mentioned before, because no one's going to open up to you if they don't feel safe and confident that you're going to keep your story. Um, it's just whatever's said in the room is going to stay in the room. And when you're at that level, um, then you'll be, be in a better position to offer Uh, tools and strategies as we mentioned before because they're going to be more open to listening to you and will be more confident in turning to you for support when they have a rough day and then also encourage them to reach out to their positive support network whether it's friends or family members whether it's other crew members that they would maybe prefer to talk to and then assist them in seeking professional support like so you know i i mean there for example at the end of of our event in palma there were a number of people given uh your name is on the list you know along with sarah ballinger from crew glue peter vogel and his team the british medical center here Belinda Kerrigan was the mental health nurse who was talking um these are ones based in in majorca but there is a whole number of people throughout the world. But I think as well, mm. helping people go, okay, how about on, on Saturday, I make an appointment for you at two o'clock and I'll create a space that you can go and talk with someone. Not just sort of, you should really talk to someone professional. They might need that extra help or they might need your company to go and walk to the office or that sort of help. Yes. And another thing to keep in mind is perhaps do your research beforehand instead of when it becomes to a critical stage where you need to reach out for support. So with those people that were recommended on the event, most of them have um, websites and have blogs or free courses that you can do. So I would just, yeah, explore what's out there, get a feel for 
who these com- companies stand for, what are their values, does anything resonate with what they are sharing with you? And yeah, I would definitely do some work beforehand before it, things can get a bit too much. So do work as, as the person who needs it or as the friend who's trying to support the person? I think both, but I think this would be a, a great place to start this sort of work would be when you're on board a crew member. So as part of your induction process, you go, these are the things that you might experience when working on board. Uh, Isolation, you might get a bit of anxiety or depression, burnout, and here are some resources for you to look into. And provide them with the the information that they can look through and 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 see what fits. Sure. And it's up to them if they've got that responsibility to do the work themselves. And if they don't, and it comes to that point, at least they have the contact numbers and information there available. Which I think, you know, is, is part of the big thing is, is feeling the support around you and knowing you're not alone. You know, I've, mm-hmm. um, I saw just a little aside. I, I saw this woman in the States who uh, started put up a sign in her front garden And it said, you are not alone. She put the sign up in her front garden. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, that particular day, uh, a woman was coming back with her son who had attempted suicide. And she said, seeing that sign that day made all the difference. Now, since then, over the past year, she has ended up making about 50,000 signs that people have bought and put up all around you know, on their gardens to mm. try and, and it just shows there is a, a growing awareness, but it, it's not enough to have it in a sign. Allowing someone feel that they're not alone makes a very big difference in the world. Absolutely. And I think it's also important for us to speak about it more. Um, like what you're facilitating is amazing for crew. And the more we talk about it, I think that there's going to be a shift where people are more okay with reaching out for support and with regards to the vlogs. I'm so proud of the people that are sharing their story, both men and women, and I think more so men. It must take a lot of courage to share with the community that they did struggle and they did have a panic attack and they did have to exit the yacht very quickly and they are still suffering. Like that, that's huge because I know it's not easy working with men uh, to speak about your feelings and really identify with the emotions that you're experiencing. And I, I think that some of it, you know, just to refer, I, I know we, we've shared this, but um, you have on your website uh, a number of, of vlogs so that people can tune in and listen to other people's stories. And that's part of not feeling alone, realizing you're not the only one who feels this way. There are loads of other people that feel this Mm. way. Um, And there are some that are brave enough to share it, you know. Mm. Absolutely. And I've just, before we go, um, the Sunday Times has reached out, Sunday Times London, and I will be showing their vlog at the end of the week, my interview with them. But they are asking for crew if they open and will remain confidential to share their experience as well because this is exactly what we're trying to achieve so if anyone feels comfortable please um connect send me an email or instagram whatever suits you cool but they're to share their stories kind of in a verbal way in a 
write you their story? What's the focus uh, of in it? In a verbal way. So I'll refer the contact details of the journalist, Megan, at the Sunday Times London, and you will remain confidential. And it's just she also experienced severe sexual harassment in the um, hospitality industry. So she's there not to point fingers, but to really address the issue and be politically correct about it. But being mindful that um, crew would want to remain confidential, anonymous. That's it. (laughs) Well, that's cool, because I think the more it, it hits mainstream and the more in some ways it's from the top down, you know, it, it, you can feel harder to evoke change when you're the deckhand. But, you know, if you're the chief stew, if you're the captain on board, if it makes a difference to the whole dynamic, if you have this sense of, of what's going on and I'll go back mm-hmm. to the, the hashtag of break the stigma, 20 to 25% and in some places in the States, it's even higher than that, of people mm-hmm. suffer mental health issues. It is mm-hmm. part of life in some shape or form we all feel it at some stage and we have Mm. a you know we're up and down and that's Mm. part of life we can't expect to be at our best all the time yes life is for living Mm. anyway (laughs) kareen thank you so much for joining us today it is always a pleasure to talk with you and hear your wisdom and uh, Mm. i look forward to the next time and to all of you out there please remember you are not alone there is health, help and support throughout the world, wherever you are. You just need to reach out. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Super Yacht Radio.